It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no. But angel hair pasta, Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hello, producer Al here. It's time to delve back into the TSFP vault and bring you another episode of Cult Heroes, first released for patrons in November 2019. Uh, this week, uh, we discuss two coaches, Bielsa and Mendeleeba. Whatever happened to those two? Now, of course, uh, some of our conversation is a little bit out of date now, given what these two have been up to over the last couple of uh, years. But I think it's still a good listen nonetheless. Enjoy. Hello patrons, welcome to TSFP Presents Cult Heroes, the latest episode in this series of podcasts where we look back at players who have had a big impact on their clubs for one reason or another. This week, we're not talking about players, we're talking about two managers who have had huge impacts in a particular part of Spain or... well. I mean, it is technically Spain, the Basque country. Let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. not a good idea. Uh, Northern Spain, uh, the Basque country. Those two managers are Bielsa and Mendilibar. Names that I think everybody listening to this... Makes you smile just hearing the names, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think everyone listening to the podcast is familiar with those names. Of course, José Luis Mendilibar is the current manager of Eibar. More on him uh, in a moment, but Bielsa... Where do we start? Well, obviously, he had a, he had a couple of seasons at Athletic Club, a couple of crazy seasons. It's amazing it was Club. only two, actually, because yeah. it feels like There are so many stories longer. from such a short space of time, yeah. Although it was only ever going to be two seasons, wasn't it, really? Because the burnout factor is so high, that was always quite likely, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's diff- it is difficult to know where to start. I mean, I wrote a note, and it just says, shoes, stairs, and sticker collection. And that was kind of my note. There's obviously quite a lot more than that. Also, there's the style and all the rest of it, but it's... There was so much went on in such a short space of time. For example, the time that he um, phones the police and uh, turns himself in for a confrontation with the gardener at Lefama at the training ground, um, who says then in a in a press conference that he calls because he's had the confrontation with the gardener. Well, the, I say the gardener. It was like a builder, wasn't it? Was it? The it, head was of, it was the head of, head of construction. I don't know what you call it, but he was. They were they were project re- manager or they, something. Yeah, yeah, I suppose redesigning, re landscaping parts of Lefama. Um, and he turned himself into the police and he called a press conference and he said, I was wrong. He deserves more respect than that, even if he is the worst project manager you could imagine. <laughs> the club basically put out a statement saying that he had um, spoken out of turn and this wasn't the opinion of the institution. To which Bielsa opened a Facebook account only to be able to write a post and explain everything in which he said, look, 
the work was deficient. The work wasn't done in time. We weren't able to do pre-season the, well, the way the that we wanted. The first team didn't have a like a proper place to exactly. train or anything. That's what right? I mean. So this is the guy in, in charge of landscaping parts of the training ground that were vital. You know, this isn't a few shrubs. I do like the idea of Bielsa being on Facebook, by the way. Yeah, just posting sort of memes and I like the idea of trying to be, trying stuff. to befriend him and him just kind of you know shiftily looking the other way and avoiding <laughs> eye contact. We should mention, by the way, he was very briefly at Espanyol as well for, I think, was it six games or something in before he took over for Argentina? That is a good question. In 1998. I think something it was six like games before he, he took charge of Argentina. Yeah, and of course he walked out on, it was um, Marseille, wasn't it? Very, very quickly as well. Hmm. So two years, in fact, in Bilbao was, him was, was quite, quite lengthy. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. Obviously, look, one of the things that we've said often throughout this series is that success is part of it, but not really. That It's about identification. It's about that sense that these people are slightly different, that, that, that fans can kind of engage with them in, in, in some way. But also, this was extraordinarily successful. This was an athletic team that did better, in the first year at least, than they'd done for years. An athletic team that got to two finals. Um, and, and, you know, the fans engage as well with the start Copa del Rey the final and Europa League final. Yeah, yes. and of course, it partly fell apart because there was a recording that got released of him talking to the players after the second final, I think, in Romania, in which he essentially says, you've had a great journey, you've done amazing things, but this isn't good enough. And the fans like that. And it it shone him in quite a good light, if a slightly weird one, because the way that he discusses it is Mm. odd. And there was always that question about, well, where did this come from? Mm. But never any suggestion that it was him, by the way. His nickname is El Loco. Yeah. The crazy one. The crazy guy. By the way, it was Lazio where he was there for just two days. It was Lazio. Yes, which it seems a bit of a strange fit, actually, Lazio and Bielsa. But anyway. It seems like a very strange fit. But yes, he was only there for two days. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe he turned up and then realised. Uh, well, he claimed that they couldn't bring the players that he wanted, so he decided right. to go. Uh, but yes. But sorry, you were saying. Well, I was just saying you said described it as El Loco was his yeah. name. Um, I wrote an article about him at that point, not least because, of course, they ended up playing Manchester United in Europe. And I went and destroying to, them. Yeah, I mean, just a, an absolutely wonderful performance. Probably the best athletic performance of modern I, times. You know what? I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the best performance at Old Trafford in a decade. Yeah, or more. Um, and there, I remember going to see them about him and saying to Ike Munayin, "Look, there's quite a lot of sort of, if you like, labelling going on. It's quite easy for us to kind of get get kind of." Kind of mythologizing exactly yeah. mythologizing the madness if you like yeah and I said to him is he as crazy as he sounds he says no he's crazier <laughs> yes and he really was so shall we go through some of those things go on then right so shoes stairs and sticker collection mm-hmm. um, and then there's obviously I've already said there's the training ground one the shoes were that Bielsa to try and show players which part of the foot to kick with hmm. got out a marker pen and drew it on his shoes. Now, that's not that unusual, except for the fact that he continued to wear them. Walking around in these shoes that had pen on them. To <laughs> it show also them. It seems just point. Like, it yeah. seems unnecessary. Sure, like Yeah, I, I mean, he would probably argue that it was necessary. Really perfectly good pair of trainers. In training, he, he had in, in, incredibly detailed training mm. regimes, which obviously involved all sorts of things. But one of the one of the ones that he liked was to was to divide the pitch into squares, and you were never allowed more than one player in a square. So if the game took a player into the square, the player who was already in there had to vacate it immediately to increase this idea of opening space for each other and constantly being on the move but in one of these training sessions because at Lethama quite a lot of the training sessions are open I think they're not Lethama is the Athletic Club training ground yes 
He literally got a couple of kids out of the crowd to say, <laughs> right, you, you gave them the whistle and the, and the stopwatch to so you do the session. And they're in the middle kind of doing the session as the players are running around them. Um, the, the staircase one, I was given a tour of Lithama about, I'm guessing, a couple of years after he left. And there is a staircase at Lithama in the, in the main building. Right. Which is fundamentally pointless. So you there's a little mini corridor and the players uh, dressing room. There is um at the other end a gym, a very old school gym, kind of indoors, AstroTurf pitch, but indoors, kind of old school, almost like a sports hall more than a gym, like, okay. like they used to be. Like Spurs used to have upstairs at, at White okay. many years ago. And then that walk that walks past now I'm trying to remember exactly why it worked this way around. I think it might be that from one place to the other it walks past a manager's office. Okay. And I think this is the right way around, but even if it's not, the fundamental point was more or less this. The staircase was designed to go up over the manager's office and back down again, so the players didn't walk past the manager's office. So basically the staircase literally went up and then went down again. So it was like a V-shape, effectively, the staircase. The only way to make this staircase was to take some of the space out of the office upstairs, which it was kind of going past now, taking the space off, which was a physio's room. And so every day the physios would be like, oh, right, yeah, thanks for that. So we're now kind of bunched up in this tiny room because we had to build a staircase, basically to stop uh, a confluence of people. And I can't remember exactly which way around it is, but I think it's to stop the players going past the manager's office. Anyway, as you can imagine, after he'd gone, everyone at Athletic called this the Bielsa Staircase. And it's still there? And it's still there as far as I know. I mean... Taking it down again would be even more difficult. Yes. But everyone loved him because, of course, he had that thing that there is something about him that's quite genuine despite the madness. Well, I think it's also, I mean, it's worth pointing out and, you know, perhaps we are doing him a bit of a disservice or people do him a little bit of a disservice by this El Loco nickname, perhaps minimising his, if not genius, but at least his unbelievable work ethic. This guy who is a complete workaholic. Completely relentless. I mean, we've seen this, obviously, you know, we're focusing on the time at Athletic, but we saw this in the the fallout to Spygate in England. Mm. And actually, that's very similar to the groundsman. In that it's yeah. Bielsa himself who says, I'm handing myself in. Well, yeah. Athletic as well, talk about that work ethic. Didn't he watch like every single game they'd played from the previous season in detail mm. Turn, before turned he up, joined turned and analysed Turned up and had, a, had a kind of a PowerPoint presentation on every game with, with colour-coded elements. There's this lovely line from where he says something like this, 36 different ways to communicate through a pass. And he would kind of, almost like 36 a 36 seems like a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it I've like, struggled yeah, to get to like five. Exactly. exactly. He, like, almost like a biologist, he'd have kind of a taxonomy of different types of passes and different ways of playing the ball. And, and it was absolutely relentless. And players would say that in in uh, those kind of pre-game tactical discussions with the you know with the videos and all the rest of it that he would bring up those powerpoints they'd have all these color codes on it and he'd be there with one of those laser pens mm. and the players would be terrified that the laser would fall <laughs> on them and it would be up to them to give the answer his um his press conferences are are legendary as yeah. well in both in terms of their length and in terms of the style of his delivery which is really quite unique you would try, I mean, I've obviously been in quite a lot of his press conferences, you would try and, I mean, with any manager, with any person, I think, it's just human, hmm. you try and engage in a way that's beyond verbal. You know, hmm. you want them to at least give some eye contact, to give some recognition, to, to have some sense that they're thinking about your answer. And in fairness to him, he would think about the answer and he would give you an answer to your question, but he would always look down. Hmm. Never, ever, ever looked at you. Hmm. Um, and it's kind of disconcerting, but I think with him, it wasn't an arrogance. I think it was a humility, actually. There's a, there's a slight sort of nervousness about him, despite all that work. And he said it after the Spygate thing, and I think this fits in with, with Athletic Bill Bow as well. He would often say, look, there may not be any reason 
for doing some of this work that I'm doing, but I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't do it all. I think we have to explain what Spygate is. Sorry, of course, who, yeah, because some of our listeners may not know. When he was, um, well, as, as still is, as manager of Leeds, he was caught spying on a training session at Derby County, mm. at which point everybody got very, very kind of indignant. There's a lot of righteous, Moralistic. Lot yeah. of righteous indignation going on. So he did this long press conference to explain the work that he does, in which basically he... Gave every single tiny little detail you could ever wish to know about Derby County. Yes. So he essentially stood up and said, I've got these guys sussed. Yeah. Well, it's also worth pointing out that, I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's going over the old ground, but the, the, the spy, in inverted commas in question, was standing on public land watching something that you could see. He wasn't like up, up a in tree a or United a kit. Yeah, or he, was, he wasn't wearing it, combat. There, was, there wasn't a lot yeah. of subterfuge here in, involved. I guess it's, I mean, I presume that you tried to get to sit down with Bielsa while he was at... I asked, but they he, wouldn't, he doesn't, he doesn't do, do it ever. Doesn't, doesn't and do never, never really has. No, never really has. And, and, and there's a lovely line from him, which I Wait, think... he's actually, never done an interview. As far as I know, he's never done a wow. one-on-one interview. But that's also partly why he gives these... So, yes. so such long presses. Well, and that he idea, feels like, I'm giving you my time yeah. in this format. I don't yeah. have to give it to you uh, privately. And in that, in that idea was one that... Guardiola took on now Guardiola has broken that a little bit because he does do some individual interviews because there is a, a sense of choosing between media hmm. one of the things that Bielsa said and again to his enormous credit and this is it I think is you can embrace him and like him because for all the weirdness the weirdness actually is weirdness with a with a with a genuine morality to it hmm. uh, and a genuine commitment to football and a real genuine like for the game and he once said I don't give interviews. Like is, I mean, an obsession for the game. Yes, yeah, yeah a absolutely. Yeah, All-consuming passion. Absolutely, yeah. and, and 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 a passion for playing the game in the way that he thinks mm. is right. Um, he doesn't cheat. He doesn't want his players, uh, you know, kind of kicking the ball away. He doesn't want ball boys disappearing. And more of this on Mendelebar, by the way, in a minute, because there's a certain parallel there. Wasn't? I mean, it happened with Leeds, didn't it? Recently, that someone scored a goal when someone was. And down. he made them. He made them give basically give the goal back effectively. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and so he he would sort of. So that side of things, and, and there's this lovely quote from him, which I think sums it up brilliantly. And he said, um, what is it? The man with different ideas is mad until he succeeds. And of course, once he starts succeeding, <laughs> he looks a little less mad. Hmm. And everyone is a little bit more kind of prepared to embrace him. Now, that thing with the... with the, I remember a press conference at Villarreal. There was a game where, and he did this a lot, he paced across the technical area. Yes. And then he would yes. go down on, on his haunches yeah, yeah, yeah. and then get up and then pace across again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, at the end of the game, in one of these press conferences, and this, in a way, I think sums up everything. At the end of the game in a press conference, he is asked, is it coincidence that you took exactly 13 steps from one side to the other before you hunched down, then got up and 13 steps again, and 13 steps again, all the way through the game? Is it coincidence you did this? And as I say, this is a brilliant kind of if you like, explanation of the, the way that we create a myth that maybe isn't what it is mm. and mm. the way that actually he probably thinks this is complete bullshit, some of what we're saying. Yeah. And he said, well, well, I think what is a coincidence is that you dedicated your time to watching me walking backwards and forwards rather than to watching the game. And that was the point. His games were great to watch. Yeah. You know, they, were, they were fantastic. Very, very briefly, because I guess we should move on before too long, um, what went wrong in the, the second year? Why did it all Bur- fall apart? burnout. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they lost a couple of really good players, obviously, in the in the summer. He fell out with, with um, Fernando Llorente yeah, well, and Javi Martinez went Javi, Javi Martinez went. He turned Martinez into a centre-back because he wanted someone to play the ball, um, bringing it out from deeper. He lost those two players. There was a real fatigue at the end of the previous season with the two finals. Mm-hmm. There was also, I think, that sense of... 
you know, you give all of this to win and then it still doesn't happen. Mm. And that kind of, something broke there. And so that, that's essentially what happened is that, is that the burnout factor was far too high. And I remember talking to an athletic player very early in his first season when it still wasn't quite working. It was just starting to come through. And they said, in a way, Bielsa is lucky. And this wasn't meant as an arrogant thing from this, this player. So in a way, Bielsa is lucky. He has a very easy dressing room here. Mm. Now, Athletic Bilbao is a dressing room, by definition, of people with similar backgrounds, similar ideas, committed to their club, beyond the purely professional and so accepting of things that perhaps others wouldn't and he changed their style mm. and he got it to work that's the other thing he mm. really did get it to work and, and so and, and that's it and he was very very genuine very likeable which is why it's probably good to end on my favourite story which is the sticker story um, one day he walks past a school playground in Getcho where he lived in in the hotel and some kids are playing and they shout out to him Marcelo Marcelo and they run over to him with a sticker album on the Athletic Bilbao page, and they give it to him, and they say, Marcelo, would you sign this, please? And he says, no. And he takes it off, and he says, but I'll see you here tomorrow at the same time. The next day, he comes back, and he hands him over the sticker album, and he signed it, but so has the entire squad. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EB. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ah, oh, that's a nice. That's good, isn't it? That is nice. Yeah. I mean, I started off by saying it was only natural that he's to be expected that he only stayed two years. Mm. I don't think he stayed more than two years at any club. Mm. Um, he had two years at Newell's, uh, two years at Atlas in Mexico, uh, one year at America in Mexico, one year at Vélez Sarsfield, a few games at Espanyol, two seasons at Athletic Club, one season at Marseille, two days at Lazio, one season at Lille. And he's into his second season at Leeds. But obviously, this just feeds into the idea that you get him, he comes, he does what he does, but it can't last forever because yeah. it's just too intense. And also the fact that Arguably, his greatest successes have been with national teams because, yes. by definition, a national team coach isn't with the players every day, so it's not so intense, or at least it's intense for short for a short period. Because obviously, in a, way, by a breather. in a way, it is more intense during the tournament because you never get away from him. You know, he's, <laughs> he's in the hotel. You can imagine him going up and down, knocking on doors, and saying, "Have you seen this two-yard lateral movement from the left back?" Sort of thing. <laughs> but, but you know, and they, yeah. he did change things because Athletic. He had some of the Athletic identity, but they got the ball down. It, and was, that season, it wasn't their classic. 
English style football. No. the ball. They had more of the ball and more shots than anyone except Madrid and Barcelona that year. They 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 really played from midfield. And Herrera was 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 wonderful. His best season by a very very long way. And I just think he was um, he was brilliant. All right, uh, I miss him. Yeah, well, I don't. I was going to say maybe we'll get him back one day. I'm... We might do. You never know. You think mm. you think maybe it's maybe that time. Barcelona is... should take him. It's gone. <laughs> I mean, that's never happening. But yeah, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? It, it would. Yeah, the press conferences would be would be great. Um, let's move on and <laughs> it'd be talk... long. It'd be long. Yeah. Let's move on and talk about another man who's had a, a huge impact on uh, Basque football, uh, Jose Luis Mendilibar, the current manager. Of Eibar, um, who much like Bielsa has a very defined way of playing, which mm. has made him a cult hero. I think not that long ago, actually, on the on the Monday pod, we suggested that he might be the best Spanish manager currently in La Liga. Yeah. Mm. And I think I'm sticking with that. Yeah. Why? Because I think the resources he has are limited. I think because, obviously... You know, there's different ways of defining good managers, but in terms of someone who has a clear sense of what he wants his team to do and is able to make them apply that, he's brilliant. Although he says that in the top half of the pitch or the top third of the pitch, he more or less gives them freedom. That what he works on is the ability to bring the ball out, the places on the pitch where he wants them to rob the ball, and then they play. But they're very, very defined. They play higher up than anyone else, geographically. Is that the right word? Zonally? Hmm. In terms of the parts yeah. of the pitch they occupy. I don't know what you would call that. Positionally? We, we know you Positionally. Anyway, yeah. They play higher at the pitch than anyone else. The statistics show that. They put more crosses in the box than anyone else. The statistics show that. They have more robberies of the ball in the opposition half than anyone else. They they create... Robberies. Rob- robberies. Yeah, what do you call that in English? <laughs> recovery? Winning, yeah, winning recoveries position. or winning the Does ball. Recovery sound? Recovery. It's definitely not robberies. No, it's yeah. not anyway. robberies. They, they do rob the ball. They steal the ball yeah. back. They take the ball. Whatever. Um, and, and he also... There is a certain simplicity to him, which I really quite like, because despite the enormous commitment to football mm. and the amount of time that he's dedicated to it and his willingness to really work at it, I also quite like his sort of stripping away the nonsense. Well, he is a bit of a proper football man, isn't he? Yeah. But in the best sense of, yes. the, yeah. of the word. He's kind of against modern football. Yes, he is. And of course, that's come to prominence with VAR in particular being probably the most eloquent and leading exponent against the the entire concept of, of there VAR. There was that footage from a couple of weeks ago, wasn't there, where where they're waiting for the VAR to make a decision, I think, and he's parading up and down the touchline. It's the tiniest little touch. And he's shouting, it's football! Mm. It's football! <laughs> and in a way... He shouts it about four times. It was the Celtic game. Though. It was the Celtic game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in a way, that's the definition of him, isn't it? Mm. It's football. Mm. And anyway, so the line about this kind of thing where he likes to strip away the bullshit, there's this lovely interview, which I think was in El Pace, where he says... I go to the, I go, you see other people train. He said, and you know, I've got plenty of spare time. Mm. He says, all the work I do is done. I go home and I do something else. He says, you get some managers spend 16 hours at a training ground. And yeah, some of them are working, but most of them are doing it just for show, you know, yeah. Paddy Pay. They're doing yeah, it as, yeah, as, yeah. as a kind of a, as a show. And he said, you go to, I love this. Here's the quote. You ready for this? He says, you go to the training ground and sometimes the training pitch looks like an airport. There are cones everywhere. Walls have been built. There are belts. There are figures, you know, like those kind of mm. wall figures and stuff. There's all this kind of paraphernalia. Just, and they're doing all sorts of stupid things. You know, they're throwing tennis balls at goalies. Oh, they'll be getting the golf balls out next. It's football. Just kind of, you know, <laughs> basically stop arseballing about. Yes. And but and yet, his style is not necessarily... It's not old-fashioned. It's not old-fashioned, no. no. You would have thought that someone like this is like a big Sam Allardyce. It's, it's very clear-cut. It's very clear cut. Mm. That is true. Mm. It's very clear-cut and it is simplistic in the way that it's stripped down. Mm. But it's not old-fashioned. Mm. No, no, no. It's, and it's, 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 um, it's very... 
as I say, it's, it's partly about that idea that it's very clear, and he expresses it really clearly. And when he talks, he talks like that as well. Mm. He, he talks is, like a man who just can't be bothered with a lot of He's one of the nonsense. best coaches to watch on the, on the touchline as well. And I was listening to him talk on the radio the other week, um, talking about during a game, he will call a player every name under the sun. Absolutely. And he said, it's, it's absolutely fine. And he said, if they want to give me some back... Or if they want to tell me to shove it up my backside, yeah. he said that's fine too. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not a, it's not a problem as, as long as they're listening. If they want to respond, yeah, it's all good. Exactly. He was talking about Oriana in particular because he was saying that Oriana is a tricky little, difficult customer. Little, little so and so, but yeah. he sort of loves him at the same time. Well, I remember. I mean, when he got Oriana, obviously from Valencia, and there were reasons why that broke down there, which were not really to do with football. And and I remember him saying after one game when Oriana had been brilliant, which he quite often is, mm. he said, I. I, I I don't know how we con this guy to come here, you know, and that and that sort of sums it up as well. But but he it's true, and he said this, and I can't remember which interview it was I was reading, but he said this before. He said he said count the number of players who've left Abar bad mouthing us, and it's true, no one does. Mm-hmm. And he says it's not about him; he says it's about the club. But in a way, it's because he fits that so well. You know, they 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 come, and even those who maybe find him a little bit abrasive because he can be. Look at Pedro Leon, for example. Pedro Leon keeps coming back. Mm. Pedro Leon's actually quite a sort of gentle, soft sort of guy, but he's got this bloke there who's going to push and push and push and make him a, a better player. The interesting thing about Mendelibar in terms of his career is that his club was athletic. Yes. Mm. And, you know, sort of the pinnacle of his career really should have been when he took over at Athletic Club, but it went horribly wrong. And I think yeah. nine games into the season, he lost his job. Yeah. Mm. And, and I think that I actually genuinely think that hurt him mm. I don't know I don't know that, that he's ever really expressed it in those terms but mm. I, th- I think it really did again I heard him asked about that in an interview the other week about if it had you know if he st- if it was his great sort of regret almost and he he pretty much waved it away he said look I'm very fortunate to have done what I've done there aren't many coaches who've been around and had the longevity that that I've got he was saying look when I was coming up as a coach you know I was coming up with coaches like I don't know Unai Emery or yeah, whatever else yeah. and many coaches have fallen by the wayside and he was saying look I haven't had a bad a bad career but you have to say if you're athletic through and through if that was your dream mm. of course remember as a player he never made a first team appearance for athletic club either mm. so was, it didn't he, work as a player and it didn't work as a, as a coach there's a lovely quote from him where he says uh, he says Javier Clemente said it best Javier Clemente, when I was a player, come through. I was I was a media punta, but as he says it, I was a media puntilla, you know, like a little media punta, like a bit a bit wet, a bit a bit cowardly. So Javier Clemente, who, who actually in some ways is sort of similar to him, mm. in he, he was a he was a cult in, hero in, candidate, and maybe he really was, kind of feisty and, and 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 pugnacious and stuff. And he said Clemente once said to me, "You've got the talent for the first division, but you won't play beyond the second division B." And Mendelibar said. Son of a bitch was right. <laughs> um, it's funny, actually, just thinking about uh, talking about Athletic, because who's currently in charge of Athletic? Galitano. And who did he replace at Eibar? Medelibar. Uh, well, Medelibar replaced him. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's a sort of weird... Yeah, yeah, well, the, the Basque country is quite like that. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot of kind of... Ex- kind of interchange between yeah. the clubs. And you would, you would feel, say it's incestuous, but that maybe gives the wrong... It does feel <laughs> like if the timing was right, Mendelibar would be given another chance at Athletic, doesn't it? Well, it, it was long enough ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's certainly... Now, different presidents, obviously. I should say it was, it was 2005, 2006 that he yeah. was yes. Athletic, by the way. I, He sort of made his name, if you like, as a manager with Vardali, didn't he? That, those four years yes. he was there. Yeah. I remember you often talk about seeing Vardali at the Bernabeu. Incredible. <laughs> I, 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 it was one of those moments when you think, listen... 
you've got your idea, mate, but because they played so high. Yeah. They basically, I think Madrid scored seven that day. Yeah. And all of them were basically balls over the top. <laughs> <laughs> the defensive line was pretty much in the Real Madrid penalty area. Yeah. So like, wallop. You do feel like his style of football is high risk, high reward, because it's really worked, for example, at Abar. Mm. Yeah. It worked at Valladolid. Um, obviously, Athletic, it didn't work. Someone like Levante, he was there for a handful of games as well, got the sack. Mm. So it doesn't, it doesn't always work out for, mm. for him, but when it does, it, it really does. It may well be as well that that personality doesn't always work at some places, depending on the kind of dressing room you've got, depending on the degree of institutional support you've got as well. But at A-bar, it's, it's fitted perfectly. Well, that question of personality is something that we've been speaking about throughout this yeah. series, about how the cult heroes fit In where they clubs. are, and yeah. he absolutely fits A-bar. There is also that, that, a moral element to it, which just takes us back, as we mentioned to, to Bielsa, that this is a guy who says, player goes down, we do not kick the ball out. Mm. And we don't expect them to either. Mm. But not just does he say it, but he goes and he tells the other team, we're yeah. not going to do it. So we're all on the same page here. And by the way, when we're winning, our ball boys won't disappear. Mm. We won't mess around with the pitch. Mm. We won't. Do- so he's old-fashioned, but he won't do some of those old-fashioned things, you know, that are a little touch of gamesmanship. I mean, that's not even old-fashioned, is it? That's just decent. That's just decency. <laughs> yeah. And these two men do share, I think, yeah. a fundamental decency hmm. about the way that they approach the game. And then the sense that you feel like, maybe not with Bielsa because he would be awkward, but you feel like if you could break through to Bielsa, he would be fascinating company. Hmm. And the same is definitely true of Mendeleeva. Yeah, you can have a few beers with Mendeleeva. Oh, definitely. Yes. Definitely. I remember having a conversation with him, not because it was anything to do with me, but I was with someone who knows him. Right. And we happened to be walking out of A-bar and Mendeleeva came out, so there was a, sort of the three of us stopped and it was more a conversation between those two, but obviously the three of us kind of standing there. And Mendeleeva, just the, just the potty-mouthed, <laughs> but, sort of, but sort of playful thing with it and just kind of talking about his players, but in a, in a sort of a fond, but sort of, in a sort of fondly, angry dad sort of yeah. way it was just brilliant one more interesting thing that I, I quite like this little um little fact about about him he says that the night before a game he sleeps easy it's the night after a mm. game that he can't sleep mm. because he's turning it over and over in his head kind of the things that have that have happened so no pre-match nerves but but afterwards it's like he can't quite yeah. let it go yeah like that yeah you can imagine that yeah. yeah absolutely you can imagine it yeah although it's gone by then mm. All right, uh, we'll leave it there, much like this podcast, which is gone. It's finished. Uh, it's over. Oh, no. But afterwards, we're going to run it over in our heads thinking, oh, <laughs> what did we do right? What, what did we do wrong? Yeah, what could we have done better? Have we got the Bielsa spreadsheet? <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, and I uh, hope you have enjoyed this series. TSFP presents Cult Heroes. Are we doing one more? I think we'll do one more. Yeah. And that's it. So this is the penultimate is episode. Is it going to be the last one, eh? Oh, who is it going to be? Shall we put it to a vote, or shall we... Uh... Well, no. we can ask them for suggestions. We'll have ask suggestions, and then yes. maybe... But so long as they come up with the right answers. Yes. All right, then. We'll do that, then. See you later. Cheerio. Bye.